On this episode of Bootstrappers, Jeremy and I are going to discuss how to get out of working in your business so you can work on your business and move it forward. That's next. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join Bootstrappers with Jeremy and Gwen Aspen. Welcome to this episode of Bootstrappers. I'm your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen. Mwah. And today we have an exciting show. We're gonna talk about one of those quintessential business discussions. How do you get out of the day-to-day operations of your business and work on it as a business owner? Bootstrappers is brought to you powered by Anaquim. We help transform and scale your business. We'll make your company more profitable and whether it's the virtual assistant service 24-hour emergency call center or just full-blown back office support we've got you covered and if you're a fan of the show please like and subscribe tell all your friends (laughs) Um, at the end of the show we will announce our book giveaway super important book today I'm excited about it. And uh, to participate in that book giveaway, go to our YouTube channel, click on this episode. You'll see in the description a link to the book giveaway. Or you could go to our Instagram page at Bootstrapper Show, and there will be a link there as well. Do it. So, um, so let's get back to this really important subject of how to get out of the operations of your business or as they say in business circles, like get out of, uh, stop working in your business and work work on the business. Right. And it's a struggle for every entrepreneur to get to that stage. And so we're gonna talk about the ins and outs. Now you are, well not totally, but you're very out of the operations. I'm out of one of them. Uh, Yeah, definitely for the property management company. Yeah, so at, at Wistar Group Property Management Company, what is your involvement at this So point? I um, on Mondays at noon to 1.30, we have a level 10 meeting, and that's it. That's, that's well, just... you do the quarterly meetings. Okay, right. So on a weekly basis, I do the level 10, and we do quarterly, and we do annual meetings. And really, because the level 10 meetings are so... Well organized. They're so organized. It really is the place to bring any issues that need to be um, discussed and problems that need to be resolved. And it turns out that an hour and a half, plus, you know, I'll call them up once in a while and kind of check in, or if I have an idea, I'll bring it up. But that's working on your business. And that's a much more efficient way um, of using your time. And I would just say, if you're not familiar with the Level 10 system, it's the EOS, the Entrepreneur's Organization, entrepreneurs organization system, uh, the EOS system that we use for all of our businesses. I would say that my big uh, moment where I knew for sure I was out of the operations was that I had COVID for two months. Oh yeah. And so I didn't participate in anything for a full two months and things kept moving along without me. And that was kind of your strategy in corporate America. So right, what I did, uh, let's see, when I lived in Denver, I I took over the management of the international department. I was there for about three or four months and it was, it was about then where it, kind of, it occurred to me that I was I kept doing a whole bunch of the day-to-day operations work, which was you know imports, exports. Um, even sometimes I'd run out there and help load the plane because I actually, frankly, kind of liked that. Except it wasn't 
developing any of my staff at all. And I knew that I was only there temporarily. Like I needed to make sure that there was a, a bit of a legacy, like a successful operation after I left. Um, so that whenever I would interview for other jobs, I could say in, within the company, this job, this office won't be harmed at all. I've got a, everything set up to succeed. And so what I did was I left at that one, I think I left for about two or three weeks. That took a hiatus. Um, and that was before you could work remotely, uh, way before. So I was actually gone for two or three weeks right when I started working and I charged my guys um, to, to make sure that the operation ran just perfectly fine and not to ask my boss anything to do, just make some decisions. You know, we set parameters and stuff, it worked great. Went to Mexico, did something similar to that. I left the country for about a month, uh, two months after I got there. And then when I went to Kansas City, we did the same thing. I just so act- that's kind of your thing. Yeah, just yeah. go on vacation and make sh- and make sure everyone's set up, obviously for success before you leave. But go on a vacation and and it's really kind of the slip. ultimate test. It's just the, your way of being able to identify. It's well, it does a couple of things. It gets you out of the operation in such a way that you really you really don't have to be there at all, and they start to get used to it. There's a cadence. So we're going to talk about how to exactly do that in this show. So the first thing, and we're not going to beat a dead horse on this, but it's to have your processes and procedures really well documented is the number one thing that you have to do in order to um, make sure that you're working on your business and not in it. Although I would say... Well, you're probably going to say this, but having the mission and values is also really important. We're going to really go into that later on in the show. But yeah. yes, that's a huge part of it. So, um, so yes, the processes and procedures all have to be documented. Um, and I would start with the things that you hate the most or the easiest things to get off your plate. The next thing uh, is to get, I would say, remote labor to help you with those. And you're good at explaining why. Well, so for us, when we first started with uh, Wistar Group, you know, it, by the time you had any, by the time you made any money, you had these little, st- you had stair steps. You'd, you'd have revenue right here. I don't know if you can see that. Your revenue kind of just goes up a little bit, or steadily, but then so your cost of labor goes up in like stair steps. And by the time you're making money, you have to hire someone that then eats all of your profits away. So the thing it with, makes it really demoralizing. It makes it really demoralizing <laughs> because you're working so hard, and then company. you get right back up to no Mon- literally no, profit. no profits, especially at the beginning. But when we did it, we had these we had remote professionals, and you know they're as good at least as American employees, except the the riser is just smaller. Because they don't cost as much Because they don't cost as much. So So you can hire people sooner to do the tasks that you don't like to do or you're not good at. And so that can get you out of the operation sooner. It helps you get out of the operation sooner. It also helps ensure that you've got enough cash to reinvest into your entire, into your company so that you actually have a more likely um, uh, outcome. Successful outcome. And then, okay, so then it comes down to meeting cadence. I think this is a big deal. Uh, When you're gonna get out of the company and you're kind of training people to take over your spot or the, the tasks that you do, giving them a framework to be successful is really important. So the daily huddles are really important for them to have with the team, right? Because you're gonna be removing yourself, so you're not gonna be having maybe the daily huddles. Um, so in that meeting, it's just a short five to 10 uh, minute meeting. You're gonna talk about the victories from yesterday, priorities for today, and anything that has people stuck. And that would be on a per team basis. So any manager who has reports is gonna have that meeting. 
every day or at least three times a week. Would I would you agree? say every day. Every day. Mm-hmm. Same time. It's because the every way day. you got to think of it is the huddles are the heartbeat of the company. They, they just have to happen very regularly. Do them at offset times, like weird times. Like mine are usually at about 8.24, 8.27 in the morning. Um, and that's just so that people realize that, okay, th- this is a fine-tuned, calibrated time. And it gets people to be there on time. Whereas if you make it 8.30, it always just feels like, well, it's about 8.30. But if it's 8.27, okay, it's 8.27. Well, and if you're going to have a very quick meeting, people really have to be on time. You don't yep. want to be waiting right. for three minutes for a five-minute meeting. So so the huddles create a cadence and require all managers to have huddles. Then we have the level 10 meeting, which is a weekly meeting where people go over the KPIs, um, hi- highlights from the week or headlines their quarterly goals and any to-do items and solve issues. That's a pretty good overview, right? Mm-hmm. And then the one-on-ones are something that we have recently rolled out and I'm kind of excited about these a lot. So this is where the managers need to have meetings with each person that reports to them every other week or once a month, kind of depending on the role. And these are really the coaching sessions and so in these meetings, the person uh, goes over, so it's all about the report and their success. So they go over their personal and professional highs and lows. Um, did they complete a game plan from the previous time period by you know two weeks? Since the last meeting. Since the last meeting. Um, and then their personal KPIs, which are probably things that are reviewed uh, publicly in the level 10, but also more with a fine-tune or a fine-grained approach in these one-on-ones um, and whether they are succeeding or failing at those metrics. And I'll mention it's also an opportunity to develop that relationship because if you have direct reports, one of the most important relationships is that, <laughs> is, the, is the, whoever reports directly to you. Oh, you, need to set you mean the with the one-on-ones? In yes. the, during the one-on-ones. Yes, yep. and then the quarterly priorities that were either learnings or cape, um, or rocks. So rocks are like the quarterly goals that they have to engage in. Some examples might be um, fix the marketing, like make sure the pictures look better on advertisements. Or set up a new website for this quarter, because that's obviously not an annual goal at some point, it, you yeah. know, dur- during the course of three months. Or create a new procedure on. or automate something. So if they're charged with one of those quarterly goals, then you're going to go over, you know, is it working? Or do, do you have problems with it? How's it work? How is this progressing? Are you going to make make your deadline. And then there's a section for the parking lot, which are those things that just come up within two weeks that aren't urgent, but it gives you time to to address any issues that come up over that time period. And then the next thing would be any roadblocks that you have. So it would just be discussion time. These meetings should be 30 to 50 minutes. And um, it really creates that relationship and allows the manager to truly coach each person on their team in a dedicated way where they are the only priority at, at that hour. And it is nice to do those in person, but of course with remote teams, doing it remotely works just fine, but make sure you take take everything into account, the uh, challenges of being remote, but they are a really fancy, neat way of do- handling meetings. Like it just, it really, we with the level 10s and everything, it's really gone nicely, but these, it really kind of tightened it yeah. up. So here's the great thing. It, so it's next level. 
as uh, we have some more managers on the team, having this cadence and requiring this for every manager really gives them the framework for, for their team to be successful. And so it really kind of uh, makes sure that that uh, discipline is in the system so people are held accountable and that things get done and our eye is always on the ball for the whole quarter and what we're all trying to achieve collectively. But I think also it's just nice because just having those meetings with one person really helps you to be more engaged in their life and pick up on the things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise say or, or be able to pick up on where things might not be going as well as you need them to be. Yes. Or, yeah, I mean, it kind of gives that dedicated time and builds that trust where they're like, I'm really struggling here. And they're not going to say that in a level 10 in front of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because this is more of a relationship kind of meeting. You can, it's a little bit more fungible. I think the time you can do things that you need to do to get things to a, a level where it's working most of the other thing is if you're working with a newer manager, um, sometimes they struggle having those hard conversations, so they put them off. But when they have that dedicated time with each individual, it forces them to have those hard conversations and hold people accountable. So what I like about this is it, it really gives the person who's stepping away from the business so that they can focus on uh, strategy and the future, it gives that person the confidence that their team has, has the framework to move the business forward without them. And importantly, if you're the leader of the company, you wanna make sure that you're using, which I know we're gonna talk about in a bit, but the value, the mission and the values of the company, are. that's a great opportunity to make sure that your direct reports are very aware of it and to let them know that your expectations are that they use them. Yes, absolutely. So the next thing that is crazy important, and I will admit that at the beginning of our business, I don't know, journey, if you will, use a cheesy term. Uh, the org chart, it was kind of like, okay, we already know who reports to who. In a smaller organization, it's not as complicated. And we didn't really have an easy way in a software to, to, to have it always up to date, and we didn't focus on it. Well, as Anaquim's gotten bigger, the org chart has become one of the most important things that we have. In fact, I just went to Mexico two weeks, I guess it was last week, last week, last week and we did a reorg in January just to handle the size of the, um, the company. And there's still some things that are being handed off from one department to the other. And I went down there to make sure that we're, we have absolute clarity with who does what and what the expectations of every role are. And this is so important because when there's a lack of clarity in a system or in an organization, it ca causes drama. And drama can make uh, operations not go smoothly. Yeah, they can. And so the thing, if I could just, uh, the thing about the org chart is that yes, it can tell you the way things are, but what's better if you use the seat format so instead of having who reports to who you have what seats like what the seat is what the work is that that uh, individual is supposed to do and the kpis that they are going to be um, responsible for that's a seat and, and what, what winning looks like and what winning looks like so but you have the seat and so you may be if you're a one-man show you may have an org chart that has um Future Seven, seats on it. It has future seats on it. So, or it actually describes what you do in all of those seven positions. And as you look to hire somebody, 
You try to find somebody that can fit into that to this seat, or maybe it's a couple of seats, um, and you, you put them in multiple seats also. So maybe you've now got four and they've got three. And as you grow, you grow into the org chart. And that's a better way of identifying not only where you are, which is a nice as a communications tool for you and your staff, but also where you're going, which is a better communication to your staff about how the company's gonna look in the future. So one of the other benefits of having a really defined seats-oriented org chart is that you don't create jobs for people that you just like but aren't really working out really anywhere yeah. in the company. So that is like a classic rookie mistake. Yeah. Jeremy and I both made it. Well, uh, Where cheated. you just like love somebody so much on your team and you're like, I love them, they're amazing, but you just kind of keep moving them around and they never really fit anywhere. And so then you create a job specifically for them. And I've heard from so many entrepreneurs that that one mistake has cost them years of growth in their business. Yeah, the only time that's acceptable is if you're already rich and just want to give a job to your nephew. That's it. That's the only responsible <laughs> use of carving out. I would even disagree with that because uh, it does. it's not a good idea. But if you really need to give your nephew a job, go ahead. But no, that's but it why does, you it, would do that. When, when you do make people fit, um, it creates an organization it, it creates so many problems on the on the down below. downstream downstream yeah. thank you um, so anyway the org chart though I would say is the biggest the biggest deal especially if your organization is growing quickly so any managers their very first job is lead manage and hold accountable so that's what their job is. And every job that we created in our org chart, it identified which processes and procedures they, the seat is responsible for, the KPI that they'll be accountable for. And there's no, um, there, there's no ambiguity. So what that does is it prevents people from fighting with each other about power or control. And once it's really clear, we as managers don't get to ask like, well, did I really train them well? Well, well, do they really know the job? Was I clear about the role? Those questions can cost you so much time dealing with someone that's just not a fit. But if you're really insecure about your management style or your new managers are insecure about theirs, they'll just keep somebody on that's not working indefinitely because of the lack of clarity. So we went through each role, and I think the team, some people may have been like, why are we spending all this time doing it? But this week, I've gotten such good feedback that the clarity has caused the organization to be more positive, people are happier, and things went way smoother because of that that clarity piece. It's just like the first thing that's important with management. And if you can set up your org chart like that, and you have your new managers managing with this cadence that you've set up, you're really putting them in a position to be successful. Well, okay, and also for brokers, um, since that's kind of the realm we operate in, it. I will say that one of the most fun things for me to do is to mess around with the org chart especially in the software we've got, which is 90.io for whatever it's worth, you get to move this thing around however you think is gonna work best in the future, and you get to put the KPIs, and you can you can see the future better. It's, it's really a fun exercise. It's actually, yes. I think, better than creating a one, two, or three-year budget because they're bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> and the farther out you go, the more bullshitty they are. 
But with a, an org chart, um, an accountability chart actually is what it's referred to, it's fun because you can see the future, but you don't have to timeline the future. That becomes, you know, okay, fun. It's fun. So the other thing that's really important as you're getting out of the business, I mean, so if you're an entrepreneur, you've put your blood, sweat, and tears into this you've company. You've done your time, probably. So as you're getting out of it, it really is a scary process mm -hmm. to like give up control. I mean, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah. And so one of the things that makes it easier is creating a system where things don't sit in people's email inboxes where you don't have any oversight or so, your managers yeah. don't have any oversight. And then you can kind of spot check. So we... So, yeah. Was, you uh, wanna, yeah. So anyway, just really importantly, I uh, just want to reiterate that email is a communications tool. It's designed to communicate to and between human beings. It is not a task list. And I know a lot of people do that <laughs> a lot, but you don't want your staff to do it. I think it is one thing, you know, being the leader of the company, but you don't want your staff to do it because everything's out of sight. You can't even, you can't identify, especially easily, where they are and what they're supposed to do. The only way you can find out is if there's a complaint that I haven't heard back from such and such. Yes. So, the trick there, which is I think where you're going, is making sure that you have some sort of, for instance, uh, another mechanism to help um, operate the the goings on of the business. So, like in call centers, which we have, uh, and Anaquim and HR, there is a ticketing system. Like in maintenance, you have a service issue list. You start with it here. You start at A, and then you do work to get it to Z. And that's kind of what you need to do to make sure that everybody has a list of work orders or tickets that they're that they're doing, that they're responsible for, and make sure that they get them done on time. And then you can have KPIs, like how many tickets did you close out? What's the turnaround time for closing out a ticket? Were they resolved correctly? And you have oversight over metrics on how your business is being handled. When things are left in people's emails, uh, it's like, a mess and then they leave and you find out they hadn't answered 800 emails that would be bad you better <laughs> uh, find out before that and so the ticketing system and and also for salespeople, if you're growing a sales team you have to have oversight on whether they're getting back to leads or not so we're using a software called hubspot for sales and in hubspot our sales manager has complete oversight. And so if you're an owner of a company getting out of the day-to-day -day and you are a little high-strung, maybe type A, and you kind of want to just peek around and make sure things are doing well or going well, then having these systems in place so that you can measure, you can check up on, and you don't have to ask people for their passwords into their email is hugely helpful for giving you the confidence to give up control. Yeah, do not let the operation be dependent on a secret source of activity yes. like email. It's hidden. And, and, it, and it happens to a lot of people. They oh, oh, yeah. Everybody uses oh, yeah. email as task lists. I think some of the software in this industry is also designed that email is your task list. And then when you get to a certain point of growth, it's gonna break, that so. system will break and you'll have to go to a different system. So catching it before it breaks is really crucial because it's less painful. Even software companies, like, and I'm, I think I can say this safely, Rent Manager has a notification system where it generates notifications based on certain things that happen. Um, but that is not, and they know this, that is not best practices. You do not want to use your email as the recipient uh, for 
for a list of things that are happening. You want you want to be notified by looking at your list inside of the software that tells you, okay, now it's your turn to do this work. So And now this is overdue. Yeah, and now and, for instance this is overdue. And Have now your KPI, you're not you're not within the bounds of yeah. what is acceptable. Email notifications force you to use email inappropriately and inefficiently, the email version. Same with the text message ones. Like now, there are places for it, like technicians out in the field having this, the text messages. Like there are some instances where it can be useful, but it is always better to have an operations a list of things that you're supposed to do. You do them, and something that everybody can see. Not only the manager, not only you as the manager, but also peers, so that they can identify that a list is getting out of hand. Jump in and attack it automatically. Yep. Okay, so the next thing I want to address is culture. So if you're the culture leader, because you're the visionary of the company, and you're going to step away from the company, after a certain amount of time, unless there's some mechanism to maintain that culture, that culture is going to go away. Because you're not, a, you're not intimately involved every day. When you're intimately involved, everything that you do demonstrates what the culture of the company is. So a lot of the times business owners are like, okay, I'm supposed to have these five values and a mission statement, but how do I actually use this in practice? And the way that we actually have to use it in practice is to literally harp on it every freaking day of the week. Come up with a stupid acronym for your values so everyone can remember them. Ours is Key dog at Adequa, which I know is terrible, but it makes it memorable. Kindness, integrity, diversity, own the outcome, growth. And when you give kudos, bring it back to the values. When you give feedback, bring it back to the values. When you're going to acknowledge someone's success, bring it back to the values. When you write somebody up. Well, that's a feedback. You're right, right. Yeah, Yeah, bring it back. I mean, that's kind of a When you're doing a PIP, bring it back to the values. When you have a manager say, hey, I'm not sure if this person is working out, run them through a uh, like What's an analysis. So, what do they call that? I don't remember, but yeah, there's- People analyzer, people the people analyzer. analyzer. So run them through your values. Do they exhibit kindness? Do they exhibit integrity? Do they exhibit uh, di- uh, value of diversity? Do they, um, are, are they outcome? Do they own the outcome? And are they growth oriented? And then do they get their job? Do they want their job? Are they capable of the job? And if you walk that person, that manager through that list or that people analyzer as they call it, and if they're not making it, then you're, it, it clarifies where you need to go with that individual. Well, and yeah, so that can mean coaching and that can mean leaving them alone or that can mean, of course, at some or point. Or training them up. Training them up. But a lot of the times with the values, sometimes those are kind of, hardwired in people and if they really don't get your values they may just not be a fit for the organization but the values literally have to be everything every single person at the company has to know them live by them and here's the other benefit of being obsessed with the values which i know as the owner or the visionary of the company it might seem tedious or cheesy at first it does but if you want your business to to live beyond you and you wanna be able to step away and truly be a visionary for the future of the organization, there's no other way to do it. And and I think it's very important to mention that if somebody actually understands the values, like if it's fluent, you can also rely on them to make 
the best decisions because when people make decisions based on the values, they're almost always right. And if they happen to not be right, they're always forgivable. It's part of your decision tree. Ours looks like um, the very first step in the decision tree to whether or not somebody can make a decision is whether or not it passes the values. If it doesn't pass the values, the answer is no. And then it goes on to, do they have a $250 spending limit, a $5,000 spending limit, whatever. So it goes before that. It's the it's a it if it doesn't meet one of the values, the answer is no. Yes, and um, so then when people come across wackadoo situations, they know how to react. You know things that aren't written down that don't happen very often. They know how to react. The other benefit is as you have more layers of leadership in your organization because you're growing, and as a visionary, you're out of the operations, so they're more. People who are giving, you know, direction and training and holding people accountable. If you're obsessed with the values, those frontline workers are going to tell you when a manager is screwing up your culture because they're going to have confidence that you will care when they bring up a values infraction of a leader. And you can get on that right away. If they, if you don't talk about the values every day of the week and every moment, literally, they're not going to bring up problems to you they'll just quit quietly or the problems will become massive issues later and so it's really is important to harp on them so that problems come to the surface amen to that yeah so so then what if you're gonna step away from the operations you're gonna leave it to other people, you've given them good training, you have a good cadence, you have values in place that you're harping on all the time, Um, you have the operations humming. What is a CEO supposed to do? Uh, CEO is supposed to be visionary and set the course for the uh, upcoming, for the future. I mean, that is what they need to be doing, designing, um, I don't know, looking around, looking at the way things are done, preparing for the next level. So in property management, you can get to 100 units uh, with one system, but then if you wanna get to the 400 mark, you're over the 400 mark, you've gotta change again, and then there's gonna be another change at about 759, maybe 1,000, and you, you always have to be preparing for that change structurally like building that that accountability chart and imagining what it's going to look like how you're going to restructure things and then and um let the operation bring you to that future and also have the big hairy audacious goal like know where you're going and also look at the market the market is changing in property management um there's a lot of technology coming in there's venture capital money it is a changing environment so how are you going to adapt how are you going to address those changes like when covid hit the organizations that had somebody whose only job was figuring out how to make the next best decision and having the time to do that, those were the organizations that fared the best because they had somebody whose whole job was focused on directing the course of the organization through something that none of us have lived through before. And so it really is important to the future of the organization. I think one of the things that people struggle with who own companies is, you probably own this company and it's successful enough for you to walk away for, or not walk away, but to work on it and not in it because you worked your butt off 
for several years. And we all, a lot of us have that mentality. I have to be the hardest worker at my organization because mm, yeah. I have to set the example for everybody else. But the problem is, is a lot of the best thinking happens in the woods or fishing. I mean, if your job is to truly think and set the course and the goals and the priorities of an organization and to know what the next step is and what the next chess piece move is, you might not do as much creative thinking inside an office. But, but and what you want to do, I mean, this is just me, but I always carry in my bag there, um, also known as a purse. By no, <laughs> it's a man bag. It's a nutsack is the brand. Um, so, but I always bring a, a, a notebook with me and it's usually a nice one so it can weather some of the elements because when you're out there fishing or when you're out there flying around doing whatever your hobby is, you make notes because you may think you're gonna remember what those things are, those aha moments, but they dissipate so quickly after you change gears that you really do need to have a place to put that down and, and then refer back to it. So if you journal, put it in your journal, keep it all in one place, but definitely write it down. And um, if our job is to continually create opportunities for our reports and make their lives better, which I know Jeremy and I take very seriously, then your job is to go fishing if that's where your best ideas are or do what it takes that you're setting the correct course given limited information. Like during the pandemic, we had to make choices without knowing what the future held. And that's really the role of the CEO is to make decisions on limited information. I've actually read that some of the best CEOs read a lot of poetry because oh, poetry can, helps your brain make inferences and you have to kind of does. create the story or figure out what the point of the poem is with very limited I, Which I think also like music, lyrics, same kind of thing. Same, Depending I, of on friends. the quality of music you listen to. Yeah, but. maybe, maybe. So, so those were a few of the things that we wanted to discuss regarding getting Knock out those of things it. out, help you make your company you a little bit more efficient. Do you have any final thoughts on the best ways to get out of the business? Uh, I, for me, if I'm leaving anyone with anything, it's to build that organizational chart with the seats. I, know I, I just it. think for the future because it's so fun. And if your organization has drama, and let's say you hate drama, the first thing you can do that will resolve the majority of the conflict, the 80% of the conflict, is to make sure there's clarity between the roles. Right. And there's accountability. Because when there's no accountability, that's where people start getting dramatic, like they think it's nepotism, favoritism, um, you know, people are held, some people are held accountable, others aren't. But if you use the org chart, and you use the KPIs in each role to really identify whether people are winning or losing, it cuts down on all that drama. Amen. So for the book giveaway, our book this week is The 10 Times Rule by Grant Cardone. Great book. Great book. And uh, to participate in this book giveaway, please go to our uh, description in YouTube or go to Instagram, Bootstrapper Show, and click on the bio. That's a wrap for Bootstrappers. We'll see you next week. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers. Bootstrappers.